chapter 3, Colossians chapter 3. Um, typically, I don't, I don't eat before I preach, um, and so I'm hungry. Like, just, do you all smell it? It's like emanating from, from below us, and that's kind of hit me as I was coming up to preach. Not, not the best thing, um, so pray for me that uh, the Lord keeps me focused on the task at hand. Um, for those of you that might be joining us today for the first time, we've been going through what is known as the household code, and this will be um, our last uh, topic on this as we look at, of course, work. Um, and then right after uh, this, we'll have one more uh, teaching on the book of Colossians to wrap it up. And then after that, we're going to be doing a series on contentment. Um, what does it mean to have gospel contentment in our age when uh, so many of us um, are discontent, discontent with our job, discontent with where we are in life? Uh, there's a lot of discontentment with our government and elsewhere. But Christians are called to be different. We're called to be content. And so we're going to look at that from the scriptures and ask the Lord to give us um, grace and wisdom in that area. So Colossians chapter 3 verse 18 down to chapter 4, verse 1. Hear now the word of the Lord. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. Bond servants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. For the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. Masters, treat your bondservants justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. Low flesh is as grass, and the glory of man as the flower of grass. The grass withers, and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord shall endure forever. And this is the word that will be taught unto you. Amen and amen. Well, let's go to our Lord in prayer. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, indeed, we've come before you today as a people in desperate need of the power of your Spirit. So Holy Spirit, come, be our teacher, be our guide. Give us exactly what we need today. Lord, I pray that if I say anything amiss, may the, your people forget it. But that which is good and right for their souls, may they not only remember it, but may they apply it to their lives. Lord, we are here because of you, to give you honor, to give you glory, to give you praise. And so I pray that even now the same thing is done through the teaching of your word. Pray that it's plain, pray that it is clear, and pray that it is powerful, that it causes the errant to walk straight, encourage those that are on the journey, and to win the lost ultimately for you. We ask this in Jesus' precious holy name. Amen and amen. Like I said, I've been going through, uh, we've been going through together 
um, this household code. And one of the things we say about the household code is the household code is designed for us, all of God's people, to take the gospel out of these four walls, the church, and then take the gospel to our homes and then take the gospel where we work. And that's so important because in here we see how a Christian husband should live, uh, should act towards his wife, how the Christian wife should act towards her husband, how, how children, uh, godly children, are supposed to act towards their parents, how parents are supposed to act towards their children, and on and on and on, right? That's what we see in this passage. And today, of course, we come to work, to work. Now, if you look at this section on work, Specifically, Colossians chapter 3, verse 22, down to 4.1, you'll notice that that's the largest section in this passage. And the reason why it's the largest section, it's not because it's most important. In fact, Paul shows us what's most important from this passage. Notice the order in which he applies the gospel in our lives. First of all, family, then work. So what's most important in our lives as we go about our lives? It's family and work. And if you were to get even more specific, Paul is saying here that what's most important, um, husbands and wives, are one another, our marriage. That's the most important. Then after that, it's our children, and after that is our work. Now, why do I mention this up front? Here's why. Particularly the men, particularly the men, we tend to invert that, right? What ends up becoming most important to us is our work, and family becomes secondary. And I'm talking to you not as someone who has this all figured out. I'm talking to you earnestly and honestly as someone who every single day wrestles with the reality of my calling to put my family before my work. The plain teaching of this text is this that nothing comes before our family. Paul says we should prioritize our relationships, especially our marriage. That takes first priority, according to Paul here, our children. And if, you don't, if you're not married and you don't have children, then it's your family, and then work. Then work. That's the priority. And so often we get that mis misapplied, right? We tend to put work before family. And Paul is saying, no, always put family before work, always. So that's the first thing. The second thing I want to show you is this. Now, we still need to answer the question, why it's the longest section? We know that it's not because it's, it's the one that's most important. Paul makes clear what's most important. The reason why uh, work is the longest section in this particular passage is for this reason. Because work is tied so closely to what it means to be an image bearer of God. If you look at Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, the Bible says, right after the Bible says that we were created in the image of God, right after that, Paul says this. I mean, uh, it's not Paul. Moses said this. Moses said that God commanded Adam to go and exercise dominion over all the earth. And so what does that mean? All of us in this building are required to work. That's the plain teaching of Scripture. Now, not all of us are going to be uh, husbands and wives. Not all of us are going to be parents. But all of us inside here today are, are required to work. Even you children, 
Even you children are required to work. That's why it's called school work. Right? You, you ever wonder why they call it school work? That's why. Right? It's called school work because that's your work. Uh, you are required to work at home. The chores that you're given, that's work. But you might say, well, Pastor Dennis, we don't get paid for that. What do you mean you don't get paid for that? Don't you have a place to live? Don't you have clothes on your back? Now, besides all of that, here's, here's something that I want to say right up front. Work has nothing to do with money. And this is one of the things that our world tells us all the time. Work, you work to get money and buy things you don't need. But that's not the teaching of scripture. Work has nothing to do with money. Work has everything to do with you being in the image of Christ. In fact, one of the most dehumanizing things that can ever happen to a person is they lose the capacity to work. That's why when you read the New Testament, and Jesus heals someone, they, he opens their eyes, or he makes their hand uh, whole again, or he makes the paralytic to walk. Why do you think they were so excited? So they can go out and do what? Work. Work. Each and every one of us inside here today are called by God to work and to take pride in that work. That's why it's the largest section in this portion. Now, there's something else I need to say about this text, and it's this. So often people look at this text, unbelievers especially, and they look at this text and they say, well, the Bible justifies slavery. Because look, pastor, they, they're talking about bond servants, uh, servants or slaves, depending on your translation. They're talking about earthly masters. So this means that the Bible condones slavery. Now, let me be unequivocal about this. Chattel slavery, as found in the Bible, is abhorrent to God. In fact, the scriptures call it man-stealing. And God never, ever in the scriptures justifies man-stealing or slavery. Never. That's never in the Bible. What Paul is talking about here is more akin to the employer-employee paradigm. In fact, bond servants here were people... Um, they could be anybody. They could be highly educated like teachers. They could be lawyers. They could be doctors. They could be all sorts of things. That's, that's what bond servants mean here. They don't necessarily have to mean chattel slavery. Now, some of them were those kind of slaves, and we're going to look at that here in a little bit. But I don't want you to have in your mind that Paul is advocating chattel slavery here because he's absolutely not. What Paul is talking about here is the relationship between an employee and an employer. Paul is not saying that slavery is okay and therefore we could continue it. I remember doing, um, I remember doing a project in seminary and it was on this very issue. And I remember reading sermons by pastors who said and who advocated that slaves, chattel slaves, should obey their masters. That's abhorrent because the Bible does not teach that. If anything, Paul would have said, get rid of that institution. But what he's talking about here is something completely different. He's talking about um, employee and employer relationship. All right? 
And that's why I'm going to speak like that. I'm not going to say necessarily bond servants, and I'm not going to say masters. Instead, I'm going to say employee, employee and employer. Is that okay? So that's how we're going to move forward in this text. Because otherwise, this could become a stumbling block. Because I could see you all sitting there thinking, well, I'm not a bondage. I'm not a servant, right? I'm not, I'm not like in chattel slavery. That could be a stumbling block with the way we look at this text. So we're not going to do that, right? Now let's dive in. Paul is talking to two kinds of people here. Employee or workers. And he's talking about the employer or what he terms masters in this passage. And I want to give you a few just plain things that the Word of God says about the theology of work. Okay, so if you're taking notes, I'm just going to talk about plainly about a theology of work. All of us need a theology of work. That's what the scriptures call us to, and that's what this passage tells us. So here's the theology of work that Paul has. The first thing is this, all work is sacred to God. That's the very first thing we see in this passage. Notice with me in Colossians chapter 3, verse 17. Paul says this, And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Now look at verse number 22. Paul goes on to say this, Bond servants or employ employees, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Then in verse number 23, Paul says this, Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not unto man. So what is Paul saying here? The plain teaching of scripture is this, all work is sacred to the Lord. Doesn't matter what you do. You could be in corporate America. You could be in ministry. You could be in food service. You could be a teacher. You could be a stay-at-home mom, a pastor, a student. Even, Paul says, a slave. And your work is valuable to the Lord. In fact, Paul says, your work is sacred. It's sacred work. Because it belongs to the Lord. Now, in our society, we draw a distinction, right? We say that there's a difference between secular work and there's a difference between sacred work. And what the Word of God says is that those distinctions do not exist. Now, of course, we have people in ministry and we have people that don't do ministry. But according to Paul, all of our work is sacred. Now, here's why this, this is so important. In Greco-Roman culture, all the dirty jobs, the menial jobs, the jobs that nobody wanted was done by slaves. Everything from foot washing to cleaning bathrooms to folding laundry, even to shoveling animal waste was done by the slave. Now imagine if a slave went to church one day and he reads this passage and Paul tells him that all of his work is sacred. Do you imagine how he must have felt? He was like, well, wait a minute. You mean to tell me when I'm scrubbing somebody's dirty, stinky feet, I'm doing God's work? How is that possible? Well, Paul says it is possible. And here's how it's possible, Paul says. Paul says that for us, we derive meaning and purpose from our work. Everyone inside here does. I remember as a little kid, my mother would dole out responsibilities in our home. I'm sure you all do the same, right? And between me and my brother, no one wanted to clean the bathrooms. Right? Now, why does no one want, why no one wanted to clean the bathroom? 
No one wanted to clean the bathrooms because the bathroom was the worst job to have. And nobody wanted to fold laundry. And basically, nobody wanted to do anything, right? Nobody wanted to work. We didn't want to fold. We didn't want to do any work, much less clean the bathrooms. Why? Because in our minds, the work that we were given was a reflection on our status in the home. Now, because my brother was the oldest, he got all the fun jobs, right? And I got all the dirty jobs, and I hated that. But why did I hate that? Because in our minds, so often, we want the job, right, that, that we deem to be the good job. Um, my wife and I watch uh, uh, Shark Tank quite a bit. And on, on Shark, Shark Tank, especially the young entrepreneurs, like people 30 and below, they all, when they come on, they all say the same thing. We want to make a difference in the job that we have. So, so a lot of times they say, okay, we'll donate um, a portion of our profits to digging wells, or we want to we want to find jobs, or why did you start this company? Because we want our jobs to have meaning. We want our work to have meaning. Now look, everyone wants their work to have meaning. But the Bible says that our work and our, work and our purpose is not found directly in what we do, but in who we are working for. Please don't miss this. Because so often, so often, especially I notice among young people, you want a job that makes a difference in the world. That's great. And if you find a job like that, wonderful. But you know what? You can make a difference in the world sitting behind a desk and just working. But we don't, we don't like to hear that. And here's why. Because our minds are infused with secular thought. In our minds, the only way our job can have meaning and value and purpose if it's for some lofty or higher purpose. If that's the case, then there is no way possible a slave could find meaning and purpose in shoveling poop. No way. Now, you might be sitting there and saying, Pastor Dennis, I, I can't draw a straight line from what I do. And that being holy work or God's work. And here's what I have to say to you. Do you think that the line from what you do right now to your work being sacred work is a longer line than a slave who shoveled uh, animal feces? I'll answer that question for you. The answer is no. It doesn't matter what you do, how laborious you think it is, how menial you think it is, how pointless you think it is. That doesn't matter. Paul says that your work, your labor is sacred work because you're doing it on behalf of God Almighty. And that changes the paradigm by which we work. That changes how we approach our work. That changes the kind of work that we do, because it doesn't matter what you do. Even if you're retired, you might say, well, I'm retired. This, this text doesn't apply to me. Of course it applies to you. Whatever work you do around the house, whatever work you do in the community, whatever job you have, it is sacred and holy work, and God expects us to act as such. Now, here's the second, second thing. If you're taking notes, your first responsibility as an employee is to do the job you're asked to do and do it to the best of your ability. 
Notice the text again in verse number 22 of chapter 3. The Bible says, Bondservants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters. Then again, in verse number 23, Paul says this, Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. Paul's point here is this. As a Christian, you should be a hard, diligent worker. And there are no excuses for it. And and the reason why Paul says this is so important. In Greco-Roman culture, there was a real problem with bond servants not working and slacking off. And and to some degree, you could understand why. For some of them, they had little to no pay. For some of them, they had poor work conditions. For some of them, they had bad bosses. It was horrible conditions. And yet, Paul says, it does not matter. When you show up to work, you ought to be the best employee there to the best of your abilities. Paul says, first of all, here's some basic tips. Show up on time. That's what Paul would say, show up on time. And when you show up, Paul would say, work hard. That's verse number 23 here, work heartily. The the word there for heartily is soul. It means with everything you have. When you go on your job, you should work with everything you have. Now notice there's a warning in verse number 25. And I love how another translation uh, puts it. And if if you have the ESV, it says, for the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. But in another translation, they said this, the sullen servant who does shoddy work will be held responsible. Being Christian does not cover up bad work. And to that I say, amen. Amen. One of the worst testimonies you can give the world as a Christian is showing up on your job being a lazy uncommitted employee. Hey, if you don't like your job, there's plenty of jobs out there. Find one you like and do it with all your might. Don't stay at a job where you're complaining all the time, frustrated all the time, angry all the time, and you just show up to get a paycheck. That's not what God calls us to do. If anything, God calls us to do the exact opposite. Don't be sullen when you, go up to, uh, when, you, when you go to work, the Bible says. Don't have a long face. Instead, be excited because now you're doing the king's work. You're on a mission from God. When I was younger, um, my brother, who's a little bit much older than me, was obsessed with the Blues Brothers. I mean, he watched it all the time. Now, I didn't pay much attention to it. I didn't really like the movie. But there is one line that kept coming up over and over in the movie, and it's by Dan Aykroyd. And he would say it over and over again. He would say, we're on a mission from God. I was like, you're not on a mission from God. The exact opposite. Guys are like robbing and stealing and doing all sorts of stuff. You're not on a mission from God. Now, they couldn't say that, but believe me, we could say that as Christians. Amen? If you are a Christian, when you go on your work, you are on a mission from God. And the mission from God is that you represent Christ on your job. You work hard. You work diligently to the best of your ability. It doesn't mean that we'll, be, we'll win employee of the, of the month or employee of the year every time. That's not what the word of God calls us to do. But at the very least, we should show up, work hard, be committed. That's the plain teaching of scripture here 
from Paul. We're on a mission from God to proclaim Christ in our work, and we should certainly be doing that. All right, here's the third principle. The third principle is this. As an employee, your work should be done to please God and not man. Notice with me again in verse number 22. Paul says this, bond servants or employees, obey in everything those who are earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers. Not by way of eye service or people pleasers. What is Paul saying here? Paul says, first of all, don't be the kind of employee who works hard just when your boss is looking. Paul says we shouldn't be that way because we work for a higher principle. Not only that, Paul says, don't do your job just to get a pat on the back. We should not be those kind of people because remember, we are on a mission from the Lord. We work for a higher purpose. And Paul says both of those things should never be a part of a Christian. Why? Because those are insincere form of work. That's why he says in the next phrase, but with sincerity of heart, implying that when we work for eye service, or literally an eye servant, as people pleasers, we are doing it for insincere reasons. The more sincere reason and the more godly reason is to do it because the Lord is watching you and looking down on you. Now let's ask ourselves a question. Why would someone work with eye service as people pleasers? Why would somebody be tempted to do that? Paul gives a hint of that later on uh, down in verse uh, number 24. Knowing that from the Lord you will receive an inheritance as your reward. Here's what Paul is saying. The reason why people work as eye service and people pleasers is because they want an inheritance. In other words, they want, in, in this context, they want land and they want power. No one wanted to be a servant. No one. Because they didn't have any land. They didn't have any power. They didn't have any inheritance. Nobody wanted to be that way. Everyone wanted to be a master because masters have inheritance and they have land. Now, here's the irony in this text. Paul is saying this, that a servant absolutely has power. Because while everyone else around him is working for eye service and the people please, this person is so secure in who they are before Christ that they're not working for an earthly inheritance they're working for a heavenly in inheritance. And Paul says, if that is the case, then you have power as a worker. You do. All of us do. It doesn't matter what you do. It doesn't matter what you do. You have power as a worker because you are not allowing your employer to dictate how you work. You're free from him or her. You work independent of them because you're ultimately working for the master. There's power in servant. The, this morning, for instance, this morning we looked at Philippians chapter 2, verse 5 through 8. And in Philippians chapter 2, verse 5 and 8, the word of God tells us that Christ came. Christ came and he took upon the form of what? A servant. A servant. Now, pause for a moment and think about that. Think about how jarring that must have been. That the master of all creation came in the form of a servant. The word there is the same word for bondservant here, uh, doulos. He was a common worker. That's how Jesus Christ came. 
And yet, this common worker, the Bible tells us, was powerful, so powerful that he served others, died on the cross, and secured salvation for God's people. Paul said in Philippians chapter 2, verse 5 through 7, that the gospel came by way of serving, not by way of mastering. That's a powerful reminder to each and every one of us that even as an employee, you possess power and agency because you are not working for your employer. Ultimately, you are working to represent God, the almighty king. Now, I don't know about you, but that changes the way we think of work. And that should change how we work. It should change how we work. Now, quickly, let's look at the implication for bosses. Notice in verse 4 and verse 1, chapter 4, verse 1. It says, Masters, treat your bondservants justly and fairly, knowing that you have a master in heaven. So all of you all that are, that are um, you're in charge on your job, right? You're, you're the employer or you're the boss. Now, some of you are like, Pastor Dennis, I'm self-employed. Well, if you don't like your boss, I, I can't do anything for you. Right? But, but, if you are a boss, what is Paul saying here? Paul is saying simply, this is a plain teaching of scripture, that you should treat your employees justly and fairly. If I could put it a different way, I'd put it like this. Treat your employees the way God treats you. You know, the golden rule says, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Paul here in chapter 4 and verse 1, Opsiani, he says this, if you, if somebody, if you're over somebody, you ought to treat them in the same manner that God treats you, justly and fairly, because you will ultimately answer to the Lord. Ultimately answer to the Lord. Now, what's the big takeaway? Here's the big takeaway. Your work has dignity, and it brings glory to God and pleases God when you do it in a manner God's word prescribes. And I want to say a few words to those, first of all, that are retired. We have some retired people in here. For those of you that are retired, remember, you still are called to do a work. In our society, retirement means, you know, you're done. You've hit that finish line. There's nothing more to be done, right? The exact opposite. The work principle says that even though you have retired from your normal labors, you still should continue the work. What about those that um, are stay-at-home parents? What's your responsibility? God says you still have a work. The work in the home is equally as important. And to do it diligently and fervently. Don't slack off, but work there as unto the Lord. Children, I mentioned you earlier. What's your responsibility? To work and do the things that your parents ask you to do. That's your job. To do your schoolwork diligently. You don't have to get all A's. But goodness, you need to be trying. Try hard. And continue on in that way. And I'll say this last thing. Remember that the integrity of Christ is at stake. I remember, um, I'll close with this. I remember being a young pastor. And I, I listened to a lecture by um, Sinclair Ferguson. 
And Sinclair Ferguson said early on in his ministry, a thought dawned on him. Uh, this lady had come and dropped off her tithes, and at that time it was some, it was, uh, some chicken eggs and some grains. And she dropped it off, and he took it, and he said, I'll, I'll put this in the tithe. And he said in that moment he realized this. He said, people are making tremendous sacrifices for me to stand behind the pulpit and teach to them. And he said, I have to be diligent. And he said he ended up working hard. He ended up putting all into what he was doing because he realized that people are making sacrifices for him to be there. And as a young pastor, that really got a hold of my heart. I know many of you make tremendous sacrifices for me to be here. And so I do my best to labor over the word and labor over the ministry. You that are sitting here that have a job, hear me. People are making sacrifices for you to be where you are. God has given you a task, a mission. What is your mission? To represent Christ on your job to the very best of your ability. Do it as one who is on a mission for Christ. So that the name of Christ may not be blasphemed on your job. Work diligently, work fervently. And the last thing I would say is this. One of the most important aspects of work is Sabbath. In fact, I often tell people, you know, the Sabbath has more to do with work than it does with resting. God says six days you should do what? Work. Six days you should work, and one day you should rest. And so many of us, the reason why we encroach upon the seventh day is because we don't really work diligently on the six days. And I say that as someone who constantly has to remind myself that God has given me six days to work and to do all my labor, and I don't get to dip into the other day that he gives me to rest. In fact, if you want to be a better worker, learn to rest better. Again, I don't say that as one who has attained. I say that as one who is learning and begs God regularly to give me the power to do both well. Let's go to our Lord in prayer. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, indeed, this matter of work is an ongoing conversation for all of us. You've called all of us to work. You've called all of us to labor. Help us to do it well. Lord, work is hard. You know that. Especially we live in a post-fall reality in which our work becomes so much more difficult. Father, I pray that you might give us the wisdom to know how to work well and how to work diligently. Bless us now, your people, in Jesus' name. Amen.